it's Alana and Jacqueline and you're back for another episode of Black and Yellow. So today we are here to talk about the awesome Kristen Gillibrand, how she suspended her presidential campaign on August 28, 2019. We wanted to spotlight her as far as being a champion for women rights and families in her campaign. Yeah. Spotlight September, it seems to be a theme. I like it. I like spotlighting awesome people. <laughs> Me too. So I think that I want to launch into this by saying that I went to Burning Man, um, got back on the 5th of September, and one of the things that happens upon uh, reacclimating to the default world, as we call it, is that while at Burning Man, cell phone reception, internet, all of those things that keep us connected to the outside world are essentially gone. You can, if you want to, have your phone and, and figure out how to plug in digitally. But um, I choose to digitally detox when I am at Burning Man. So one of the things that naturally happens is when we get back to a place where there's internet and there's cell reception, you're immediately bombarded with the news that has happened in the world while you've been essentially off the grid or just disconnected. And so upon leaving Burning Man, we the first thing I heard about was obviously Hurricane Dorian. Our thoughts and prayers are with all of the Bahamians and everyone that lived on that mm-hmm. island or lives on that island that they are in a safe place, their family is in a safe place, and they are on their way to rebuilding as best as possible because it's a terrible tragedy. It sure is. The Odessa, Texas shooting was another thing that we heard about. Oh, yeah, wow. And then the boat fire. The Yeah, yeah, that was one where I, I, I'm not surprised that there was another mass shooting. It saddens me, but I hate to say that I'm not surprised. As, as, as many people um, would agree. For sure. People love to shoot guns, and we have a gun problem here in the United States, unfortunately. And uh, the Conception Boat Fire in Santa Barbara was the other, I think, big piece of world news that I heard about. But I think the thing that really punched me in the gut the most was hearing that Kristen Gillibrand uh, is no longer in the running for the presidency for 2020. Mm. In this house, in my house, in my life, I'm a huge Kristen Gillibrand fan and stan. I am all for that Mm -hmm. woman. I think it started, I went to college in upstate New York, and she took over Hillary Clinton's seat in the Senate in January of 2009. So her name in the state of New York was circulating and that's how I first heard about her and um, thought she was amazing from day one thought her focus on family and women and upholding women's reproductive rights were just on par with what I at the time as a young politically minded person wanted someone fighting Mm -hmm. for and so to hear that she was running for president was amazing and to hear that she's no longer running it's like a gut punch but today we are talking about why her campaign presidents or her her bid for the presidency and the way that she ran her campaign why it mattered and why it will shape i think the way that women run for president definitely for decades to come especially with what so shall we get into yeah i'm getting into it um i was just gonna say especially for what has been currently happening in the south 
you know, for her to literally oh, yes. root her campaign in issues of women's equality um, was the first of its kind um, in that sense. 100%. I think start straight off, we should talk about the branding, which was super pink, mm-hmm. super feminine. Her entire platform was essentially fueled by girl power and family first and motherhood first and the fight for reproductive women's rights. I don't think we've ever seen a candidate center women at the the forefront of their uh, presidency bid quite like Gillibrand did. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. I just want to read a, a quick quote that she said. Um, she said, I think that women have a unique ability to bring people together and heal this country. Ms. Gillibrand said, adding, I think a woman nominee would be inspiring and exciting. Um, and I think she's absolutely right. I think we talk about so much how women are healing, how... You know, everyone came from a mother, a womb, um, and the powers of of women in general, um, being one in myself, um, I can say go far beyond, um, you know, it's rooted in powers of nature. And so I think she hit on something really, really, really good and smart and truthful that we have the capability to heal you know, we're already, like, genetically built different. We um, can feel, and, and and I'm not saying men can't feel, um, but, you know. <laughs> Didn't think you were. You're good. <laughs> our intuition and all these things are, you know, men and women are very different, and we're built to feel um, as women, and so, as well as heal. Um, so I just wanted to add that in there. Oh, yeah, totally. I think, look, women typically are the heads of household. We now are kicking ass in the career sphere. Why wouldn't we be well-equipped to run this country? Do you know what I mean? It's always been a, it's always been a thing that I've wondered for many, many decades. And I think that Hillary Clinton showed us that a woman can run for president. I think that she was the, the, the trailblazer in that respect. But I think what I like about Kristen Gillibrand is that she was the total opposite of Hillary Clinton. And by being opposite in terms of Hillary Clinton seemed to run her campaign um, in a sort of assimilationist mentality. I must present uh, like a man in order to make it in this world. And then I think on the other hand, you have Kristen Gillibrand, who was super feminine. I mean, her... Her slogans were brave wins and do something brave. And while that might not be specifically mainstream uh, feminine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There is something very empowering about hearing that as women, because for so long we've been held back and held down. And so I love that not only was the branding for her campaign obviously washed in pink. And I think she had mostly women. In terms of her creative heads, I think that they were mostly women um, working under her. I think she, it now she provided a great scope for what future female candidates can be and how far they can push their femininity in the presidential candidacy or the, the presidential bid. 
as much as they want to because not every female that comes along after Kristen is going to want to be as feminine as she is. That person might not want to have a pink-hued campaign platform, but the possibility is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I Some might argue... Uh-huh. Oh, go no, for go it. ahead. Keep going. I was going to say some might argue that that worked to her detriment. I don't choose to see it like that. I choose to see that she laid foundation for future candidates to come along and actually have a choice in the matter. Mm. Yeah, I think she was what was most important to me after, um, you know, watching her campaign and and, uh, reading about her was that it seems like she really was her authentic self. You know, she really brought what she stood for. She didn't sell out or try to go a certain route that she thought would maybe get the most numbers, um, you know, because it is a money game. And and I think it's very, like, again, brave of her to really stand her ground and say, look, this is what I stand for, and so this is how I'm going to campaign. And then on top of that, just being very honest with herself, maybe recognizing where she wasn't, at, at, at where she wanted to be and therefore dropping out. You know, I think all of that is very commendable and extremely brave um, on her end. A hundred percent. Her, the the color of her branding, the, the in-your-face, hot-to-trot pink color of her branding, which is very audacious and bold and body and in-your-face, it's not that sort of soft, creamy fade into the background um millennial pink i believe is what the hue is called now uh definitely to me was a very direct and kick-ass statement about taking back the power of pink and of femininity as a whole and i think that we can't overlook that and i think that we've talked about it on this show in terms of the color of pink and how problematic are averse to that Problematic pink, pink yeah. We shove it down, yeah. We shove that color down little girls' throats, and then at a certain point in time, women are like, "Oh, I hate that color. It's so frivolous and 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 it means so much." Yeah, absolutely. Um, Refinery Twenty Nine did a great article about this, and. I want to read a quick excerpt. It says staffers of Gillibrand's campaign framed embracing the unconventional pink as an attempt to, quote, take it back. So much of what is considered feminine is regarded as weak or fluffy, over the top and unnecessary. Pink has long been associated with that, says Sarah Rodriguez, 27, who is Gillibrand's content director and the designer of much of her branding. I think her goal was we're going to take this pink and we're going to wield it as a symbol of empowerment, specifically because it has been used as a tool of weakness before. Mm, I like that a lot. Yeah. And I think that that sends waves through not just females, but I think it sends waves through any potential candidate, male, female, non-binary or otherwise that maybe what one views as a weakness, not everyone views as a weakness. Right, right, right. It could be a strength for some people. A hundred percent. And then encouraging people to be brave and brave wins. Our political landscape is changing. And in that we have younger voters who might be voting for the first time in the 2020 election or who had voted for the first time in the 2016 election. And I know I've got a cousin that's turning 18 and he was like, oh, my God, this political landscape. What am I supposed to do? And I do think that a, 
a candidate like Gillibrand does empower not just women but the youth too definitely to see their power and and take hold of it and I think for that we I give Gillibrand a ton of credit yeah I completely agree with 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 that for sure so I think the next bit you talked about money Mm -hmm. and I I want to hit up on that because as we know in 2017 it was Senator Gillibrand who called for Al Franken to resign amid sexual harassment claims and there are people out there that believe that because of that action it slowed Democratic donors from donating to her campaign and essentially in turn if if you were to believe that that could have led to her slowing down the momentum slowing down for her candidacy yeah they they did mention that she had raised less money um, from small contributions in her first quarter as a presidential candidate than she had in six of the eight previous quarters when she wasn't running for president, um, according to federal campaign records. And I just thought that was interesting and how much of that did coincide um, with, you know, the whole Franken situation. Yeah, I I guess that's really hard to calibrate if you think about it. Because, you know, is was it the Al Franken thing? Is it that she had a, a family and female-centered campaign? And, you know, one will actually never know. But I, I commend yeah. her for doing the hard and uncomfortable thing, which is to call for that resignation in a public forum. Again, she's standing up for women, and she's sending a very clear message to women that when women speak and when something has been done wrong, someone should pay for it in some regard. And I love that she didn't cower from that. Right, right, right. It, um, I I think she did say somewhere, I read an article, this is on politico.com when she was getting, um, you know, a lot of heat from sort of leading uh, the way in getting, um, in insisting on Franken um, stepping down. Um, you know, she did say there's a bit here that says she defended her approach by insisting she placed deep held personal values over party loyalty. Um, but the still burning resentment among the donor class now confronts Gillibrand as she explores the presidential bid, cutting her off from influential and deep pocketed contributors and their networks at a time when an expansive 2020 field will compete for their dollars. So... It's tricky, right? Because that world is 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 a is a, is a whole nother world. It's political. Um, yeah, it all comes down to being political, and I think this wasn't political. This was personal. But it's one and one and two in the same. Do you know what I mean when it comes to this kind of stuff? Oh, a hundred percent. And I think yeah, I think her taking on Al Franken. I think we're living in a time where everyone wants to be an activist or everyone wants to get involved and fight for what they want. And part of fighting for your, for what you want sometimes comes with uncomfortable situations or losses that you might oh, not yeah. have foreseen. And I think it's that a price to pay. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that she didn't run from it. I love that she didn't run from the fire. She ran towards the fire. And I think that that's a great lesson for all people to learn, especially people that are looking to make a difference either locally or nationally. Sometimes it comes with uncomfortable prices to pay. But you know what? She's an icon to me in the making for 
doing that on for doing that action and for taking on such a powerful man who had been around politically since I feel like I was a child. I feel like Oh my I, gosh, yeah. Yeah. Forever. Yeah, I feel like I don't know <laughs> politics without hearing the name Al Franken somewhere and in some way. Yeah, he's an he's an old guy. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> he's pretty old. <laughs> I mean, I hope that that old dog can learn a new way, and that new way is to not sexually harass women. Yeah, and that was what? How many decades ago? Yeah, he's almost seventy years old. Ooh, I actually didn't know he was that old. But thank you for telling me yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, those women came out and uh, and sort of kind of you know uh, tweeted. It all started out with a tweet with a tweet. Um, but yeah, this they were saying they were referring. She was referring back to a two thousand and six moment, which is if I can do math, is over ten years ago. <laughs> um, Your math is so, spot on. Oh, thanks. Uh, so that's that's a, that's a long time to be in a place of power and or not be in a place of power and still do something that is just simply unacceptable. Yeah. And by Franken standards, I mean, Gillibrand is essentially a, quote, new kid on the block. And she took him on and she won. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet that must have felt great for her. Exactly. Um, I think another thing that Gillibrand did that we can't overlook is her fight for protecting the reproductive rights of women. So Ooh, and if anyone likes reproductive, it's you, parts. girl. <laughs> you are Miss Reproductive. Uh, I sure am. I'm not <laughs> talking about the vagina. And everything that comes out of it as well, which is why I love you. <laughs> So she was. I don't the, hold back. <laughs> so she was the first uh, 2020 presidential candidate to vow to use support for the landmark Roe v. Wade ruling as a litmus test when nominating judges, including justices for the Supreme Court. Other Democrats followed suit after that, but she was the first. She led the way, and this is what she had to say about it. Quote, I realize that traditionally presidents and presidential candidates haven't drawn lines in the sand on judicial appointments, she wrote to a post in Medium in May, acknowledging that the promise was fairly unprecedented. Quote, that tradition ended when Mitch McConnell obstructed the nomination process and stole a Supreme Court seat. When Donald Trump nominated dozens of ideologically extreme judges handpicked by the far right think tanks. And when, when Republicans confirmed a Supreme Court justice who is credibly accused of sexual misconduct, end quote. So the day mm. after that. Oh, sorry, the, the day after announcing that pledge, Gillibrand released her larger platform on reproductive rights. It reiterated her promises about judges, stated her commitment to ending the Hyde Amendment's ban on federal funding for abortion, vowed to repeal the Trump, admission, the Trump administration's gag rule, and promised to seek ways to put, quote, a stop to clinic violence by protecting the doctors, nurses, and clinic workers who provide abortion care. End quote. Yeah, that's, that's a lot to take in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, immediately the two words that come to mind are holy shit. And then the words that come after are finally we have a candidate who's not just saying I'm pro-choice, I'm pro-life and moving on. She had yeah. actionable steps of how she was going to protect 
us women, not just the women themselves, but the people who are handling us with care, the people who are responsible when we end up in the doctor's chair or in the hospital for our own well-being. She's taking a, a, a full scope of how to protect us. And I yeah, can't. Yeah, I think. Uh-huh. Oh, go for it. No, go for it. Oh, I was just gonna say. I think it's it's so. It almost feels like an overlooked issue, but it's so much more bigger than we can even begin to imagine. Because if you don't have proper doctors, proper people that are taking care of women and children and families, especially in rural areas where there's a lot of poverty, where these problems just aren't addressed, you know, for for however long, um, that is the the root of, of everything is birth. And so for that to be overlooked... And then on top of that, with all the laws that are happening now, because what are we living in the Stone Ages? Um, <laughs> Pretty much. You know, yeah, it's it's I understand why she had such a conviction to really stand her ground and to voice and to make change, because I don't I don't want to say that she should even have to be doing this because she is. But, you know, it's it's just so tragic because it's like the basic fundamental needs aren't even met. Oh, a hundred percent. I also remember Which hearing... goes to show what kind of state that we're in as a country. Sorry, yeah. I just wanted to add that. Uh, no, a hundred percent. When I heard this, I was filled with joy because when as a voter in the United States, I don't just walk into the voting booth and think about my own personal needs. I like to have a candidate to vote for where I can walk into a voting booth and feel like I'm also voting for the protection of my neighbor's needs or my friend's needs or my family's needs. And I feel like her platform on reproductive rights and reproductive health really made me feel like, yes, I can help women that I've never met before voting for a presidential candidate like Kristen Gillibrand. I'm lucky enough to have good health care. I live in a metropolitan area where reproductive health is relatively easy to find i'm using relatively in air quotes but it's a lot easier to find than in rural areas where women have far less options and depending on what the socioeconomic status is of that individual or of that city or township or whatever that totally limits your options and i just totally yeah and i just felt like i can get behind this candidate not because I'm a fangirl, but because she's doing something for all women across the world and I can help better the lives of other women because that's how I look at my vote. Yeah, um, I know Senator Kamala Harris and Senator Elizabeth Warren had also, um, you know, raised uh, the discrepancies in um, the maternal world um, as well through their campaign trail um there was this quote on the new york times that said um this is obviously based on um gillibrand's uh, proposals um but it said here quote the center for disease control and prevention recently reported that black native american and alaska native women die of pregnancy related diseases at a rate about three times higher than that of white women mm-hmm. end quote and i i just 
it, it it's it's it outrages me you know I, I i get like i think everyone should be like completely outraged at this at this fact that in 20 almost 2020 we have people dying of pregnancies and um you know it's because these areas are just simply overlooked and uh and i think her her cause hopefully has sprung a lot more um but yeah i think it's it's so 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 crucial that this gets addressed and then fixed yeah because the reality as a black woman when i talk to my black female friends about motherhood and do you want to be a mom and and everything that goes hand in hand with that the conversation of the possibility that we might die before during or after labor is a conversation that we have regularly it is a fear that is commonly spoken about i think seeing serena williams go through her difficult labor and delivery and nearly dying i think also reverberates a lot among black women because she's serena fucking williams she's the greatest athlete of all time you talk about a body that should be yeah yeah and, and should be taken care of with the utmost attention and care and even she almost lost her life if she almost lost her life what hope do we have? Yeah, I, I, I completely, I completely agree with you. It's, it's pretty incredulous that this is something that's happening. And I mean, it's all a reflection of obviously the state of the world and the state of the country. Um, but it's scary because we're living in it, you know. And as women of color, we're experiencing it. And if you don't, if you don't feel safe, if you're not being taken care of by the right people when you're giving birth i mean that that is that is your your you're you're giving birth to your child and and then talk about paid leave you know maternity leave all of that i think i don't know what exactly are the statistics on america's paid leave but i know it's not the best yeah definitely not. i can say that you are yeah you're 100% right I totally agree with you it's not the best I don't I mean there are other countries that definitely have it a lot better than ours not just maternity leave but paternity leave as well yeah exactly you don't think the father matters (laughs) right exactly definitely I think in terms of of talking about being pregnant and bringing a child into this world that is one of the um bastions of racism that I don't think is often talked about in feminist spaces because it's Mm -hmm. that very human problem of if it's if it hasn't happened to you or people that look like you then I then can't relate and I know when I am hanging out with my white girlfriends and we bring up (laughs) babies and pregnancy the mere thought of oh I might die in pregnancy is not something that is ever brought up of course, not Ever. at all. <laughs> I just had no. to put that out there. It, it frustrates me, and I get that, you know, when you're having happy conversations with friends, no one wants to talk about death, but that is one of those injustices that if anyone's like, hey, Alana, do you want to be a mom? I'm like, that question is a very loaded question. Can't talk about it. Let's have cocktails. 
<laughs> I'm just saying. That's the opposite. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to think. You have to think about so much more than just the, you know, average white person. <laughs> and it's a lot more complicated. Yeah, and I hope that the the candidates, the candidate, I should say, that eventually makes the bill is uplifting women's reproductive rights because Gillibrand had the bravery to do that. And as I mentioned before, there are candidates that are following in, in Gillibrand's footsteps in a way and and making reproductive rights a part of their platform. Uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren would seek to work with the U.S. Congress to create federal statutory rights paralleling Roe v. Wade permanently and the Hyde, at the Hyde Amendment and other prohibitions on abortion coverage and preempt state-level attacks on access to abortion care. Cory Booker plans to create a White House Office of Reproductive Freedom tasked with, with, quote, coordinating and affirmatively advancing abortion rights and access to reproductive health care, end quote, across federal agencies. Kamala Harris released a plan to protect abortion modeled after the Voting Rights Act. And former Housing and Urban Development Secretary Julian Castro had a notable moment during the first round of the debates when he said, quote, I don't believe in only reproductive freedom. I believe in reproductive justice, end quote. Mm. And then as a side note, it says, though he misspoke at the time in his discussion of reproductive rights for transgender people. Thing to note. Mm. But that said, if it weren't for Gillibrand uplifting the the talk about the need to protect the reproductive rights of women, I do wonder how many of these candidates would have written that into their platform. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm sure she... She highlighted it, you know, especially for the men. Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. You know, <laughs> I'm sure she, she called them out or not called them out, but in the sense of she stood for so much maternal issues, um, they, they, they were forced to obviously even the playing field. Um, so that in itself was a gift. I mean, um, I don't know how much they, if they didn't or they did have anything as far as reproductive rights, but... I mean, come on, you have men who don't have vaginas making rules for vaginas. Like, that just simply cannot exist. But it does. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, uh, and I think it was, a, it was what we needed. And for her to be so, such a powerful force as far as just standing up for women, um, I'm sure it had affected every single one of those candidates for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it also feel like it also felt like Gillibrand uh, forced other politicians to to go on the record and and be candid about their thoughts on reproductive rights in a way that we've never really heard before. Yeah, yeah. I, she she called out Joe Biden for that's right. Yeah, for like a couple, like I think was it during the Obama years where he decided to not, like he passed on a vote for some bill that was going to go into something free. I don't, I, I was reading about it really fast, but then this is not, not obviously spot on, but he did say something along the lines of like, that was in the past. So like, let's forget it if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> and I don't know, that just made him look like a fool. 
She did it. I mean, no better person than her to call him out on his BS, especially when it comes to reproductive rights and, and just the, the basic civil rights of women. Yeah. Oh, I have it here. It's, it's a, it was on a New York Times article as well. I went on a New York Times binge. You did. Um, and love it. She said here, um, quote, Mr. LeBrand also reported challenging the former vice president, Joseph R. Biden Jr. Oh, I did not know that was his full name. Um, <laughs> the Democratic frontrunner over his record on women's rights. She assailed him in June for supporting a law that bars several that bars federal funding for abortion. A stance Mr. Biden soon recanted. In the most recent primary debate, Ms. Gillibrand criticized Mr. Biden for having opposed a proposal in the early 1980s to expand the child tax credit. Mr. Biden described that as ancient history and questioned the sincerity of Ms. Gillibrand's rebuke. Um, Ooh. So there's, there's that. <laughs> I bet that's biting Biden in the ass now. Now that yeah, he's... I don't, I don't, I don't know if you can say anything you can't say something's ancient history but as a presidential candidate can you say that <laughs> i mean it's I not know. the smartest I, I wouldn't say that and i would hope there's someone <laughs> around me some writer some person that's like aaa nix that whole it's 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 ancient history bullshit that's not gonna work for you let's move on yeah i I mean, the system itself, you know, like I he would have looked so much better if he just, you know, maybe apologized and decided to say, you know, now I'm changing my ways. But I don't really understand the world of politics and I may never. So I do not want to step foot in that hole. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, fair enough. Well, not only was Gillibrand fighting for the reproductive rights of women, she also fought for families. Her family bill of rights, uh, it called for, quote, investing heavily in maternal and child health, adoption and in vitro fertilization, paid family leave and universal pre-kindergarten. Oh, that's great. Yeah. um, So Kristen Gillibrand has a book. It's a great book. It's called Off the Sidelines. I have read it a couple times and it's one of my default go-to books. It's right with all my other feminist literature and I tend to flip through it. Whenever I feel like I'm having like a weak female moment, I need to get strong. I've got pages bunny eared and the whole thing. And one thing (laughs) that she has always been consistent about is being a mom. And she wears being a mom as a badge of honor, just like she wears being a woman like a badge of honor. And I love that she's putting families first. You know, we love to see pregnant women, but we don't like to help moms. And I love that she's coming in. And changing that or has at least set the precedent for other candidates to put families first as well. Yeah, I I think it's great because it it targets specifically the health of families Mm -hmm. and with health comes comes mental health. Um, Yes. You know, and if you want to target that, I mean, if you don't have health or any or mental health, you fall into the loop of, you know, I mean. Uh, Bernie Sanders is always talking about how the healthcare system is corrupted. And, you know, if you're not healthy, you fall into that system. And then pretty soon you have a bill of $200,000. And this all started because of who knows what when the child was who knows how old, you know, because the mother just didn't get enough attention or enough time or the father, you know, like there is so much. So instead of like laying down the foundations and sort of focusing on the roots 
of what would make these people happier and healthier, um, you know, that that's not the focus, clearly. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I'm happy that you hit up on mental health because physical health is one thing. Yes, we all want to be in good physical health because without your health, you have nothing. Mental health is an interesting one to me because parental trauma that children can um, sustain. Go those, through, experience. Yeah, those forever shape us. Those forever form us. And we carry them into adulthood. And those... yeah. The, the need to be a mentally healthy family and a mentally strong family, I do think is one of the the things that we don't talk about because I don't necessarily know if we equate children and mental health the way that we preach about adults and mental health. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I completely, uh, more than you can know, that it's so important it's critical because like you said it carries on to your doll and you know you know who benefits the most out of adults with not very good mental health is the pharmaceutical industry yeah you know it's it's the depression that kicks in then it's the pills then it's therapy then it's the anxiety then it's just one thing after another after another it's the alcohol it's the drugs and we know because we've been there as adults and we know we've coped a certain way and we know that it probably wasn't the healthiest way and it's only through you know really looking inward and figuring all that out with a lot of help and support and your environment and and who knows what else right but mm-hmm. but you know it's like it's like one it's like a domino effect you absolutely know, you don't you don't take care of the things that need to be taken care of at the right time and you will pay the price later on no matter what oh yes i could not have said it better myself and in fact i'm just gonna move away because i think you said it brilliantly <laughs> Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So the question now is, where do we go from here? Gillibrand is out of the running. However, she is still pledging to raise a million dollars to help a female candidate get elected. That's my kind of girl. The girl that stands with other women and uplifts other women. I wonder who she's going to endorse. I've been thinking about that, too. And I... There's only five women. There's Gabbard, Harris, Klobuchar. Oh, Klo- Amy Klobuchar. That. Yeah, and then Warren and Williamson. I mean, a part of me wants to say Elizabeth Warren, but a part of me wants to believe that that person could be Kamala Harris. Um, I know that Marianne yeah, Williamson... out of those five, those two are the most... Yeah, I think Marianne Williamson yeah. has some pretty interesting uh, platforms... But I don't mm-hmm. know if I could see her endorsing Marianne Williamson. Mm. But I mean, yeah. only, I mean, and honestly, only time will tell. You know what I mean? I know. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think on a larger level, with all of the things that we've just discussed, one of the questions that I do wonder is how stereotypically feminine of a, a female c- candidate can one be? How feminine can a female candidate be? Can can she be super feminine mm. and still win the election? Can she be middle of the road? Is that more comfortable for the voting public? Does she have to assimilate like Hillary Clinton, which we saw didn't really work for her? And in terms of Gillibrand's platform, her 
embracing of all things female and feminine, some would say got a pretty unenthusiastic response. But you got to throw it out there and see what sticks. You you know what I mean? Like you have to try it. And I, I commend her so, so much for sticking her neck out on the line and trying and paving the way for other women. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's a great question. Um, I think this year's of presidential candidates from, wow, can you imagine, from Hillary Clinton to now this, you know, it's it's day and night. Yeah. Um, so I think it'll just keep getting better, and I think it'll just keep hopefully evening out, you know, where mm-hmm. there is, you know, half women, half men, so it's equal. Yeah, um, very much so. And that means more women in politics, hopefully more women of color in politics. And we can just continue to keep fighting for our rights and what we believe in. And um, yeah, I mean, my answer to that would hopefully be be as feminine as you want, you know, like own it and be it. And hopefully citizens of the United States will support you. Um, hopefully in that world hopefully i mean according to a recent politico poll only five percent of female democratic voters said that gender equality was a top priority when voting which when i read that i was like wait what okay i guess i did not expect for that statistic to be that low given that the time that we're in but at the same time I did have to catch myself and go, okay, Alana, you are living in liberal Los Angeles, California. You co-host a feminist podcast. Your entire life is about women and the uplifting and the fighting for women. So I had to slow my roll. But nonetheless, that was a super disheartening statistic for me to read. (laughs) (laughs) To be completely honest with you, Um, I think at the end of all of this, the thing that I would say I've always taken away from from Kristen Gillibrand and I encourage all of you to take away is the sense of just sheer optimism that she has that enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah, definitely that the world can be a better place if we not just we as women, but we as people band together and fight for the rights of each other. Um, I like that she doesn't practice selfish politics. I like that she doesn't just look out yeah. for people that look like her with her same beliefs. I love that she is out here fighting for the rights and the betterment of all women because <laughs> when women's lives are better, honestly, everyone's lives are better. Damn right, girl. You've got to <laughs> say it twice. <laughs> Everyone should get that tattooed on their forehead. (laughs) Oh, right on their forehead. Can't miss it. Yeah. (laughs) I think I want to take It's a joke. Don't go do it. (laughs) But if you do, please tag the Black and Yellow (laughs) podcast because we want to (laughs) see. So I think to take us out, I think I'm going to read a statement from Gillibrand. I'm going to let... Jilly, as I refer to her in this house, because I feel like we are just such tight girlfriends. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to read this. She says, quote, we have put the civil rights of women front and center and never back down when it comes to valuing them. 
at a time when reproductive rights are at a greater risk than ever and when other leaders have been willing to make political demand to have make, have been willing to make political deals on the backs of women we've said loud and clear that women's rights are non-negotiable hmm. thank you Kristen Gillibrand the end yeah that's it thanks for tuning in guys sorry if yeah thank you so much yeah sorry if this episode feels like girl you're late like this is late information we already know that she's no longer in the presidency i i just (laughs) had to talk about it and i was spilling my guts to jackie about why it was so important to talk about so to you i was more than happy to thank you my lovey lovey lovely co-host i totally appreciate it of course, I was more than happy to spotlight her, and I think she deserves 10 hours worth of more, but <laughs> 45 minutes is 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 still a gift, and um, we see you, we honor you, and we support you, Kristen Gillibrand. Yeah, if you're a newfound fan of Kristen Gillibrand after this episode, go check out her book, Off the Sidelines. It's great. And then KristenGillibrand.com if you just want constant fills of Kristen Gillibrand like I do. She's sort of like the most amazing (laughs) drug ever. All right, folks, we hope you enjoyed this episode. This episode was produced by Christian Humes over at Zeitheist. We are the Black and Yellow Podcast. We are on the gram, and you can find us on the gram at Black and Yellow Podcast. I'm Jacqueline Chung Young on Instagram. And I am Alana Webster, but my handle is at Renegade of Fun. You can also find us on Apple Podcast and Spotify at Black and Yellow Podcast. The podcast is important. It is important. <laughs> um, and you can rate, review, please subscribe if you like. We'd love to hear your thoughts, any comments, any concerns, any questions. Reach out to us. Let us know what you're thinking. We'd love to hear from you guys. Definitely. One love. Stay woke and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.